This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status, and Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like any sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 133 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin. No bridge approved tonight. Uh, she's preparing for some broadcasting duties tomorrow. Um, Scott... Two Bruins games since we last spoke. Two Bruins victories. Um, they defeated the Buffalo Sabers on Saturday, three to one, up in Buffalo, and then they came back home against the struggling Vancouver Canucks and um, beat them five to two. And real quick, Scott, before we dive into the game action, um, thank God, thank God that the Bruins players and coaching staff and trainers have been on their games so far this year because the Bruins as an organization have just been dropping the ball left and right. We've talked about the whole Mitchell Miller stuff, but now I don't know what's going on. They, they don't even know what jerseys they're wearing <laughs> games at this point. It's like, hello, you, you have a schedule you release. You're not supposed to wear them until the Blackhawks game again. And it's like, how are the Bruins organization? Like, how are they just making stupid blunders like this? It's just like, it's not peewee hockey. Yeah. I was wondering like, you know, is there flexibility to wear them more often if they want to? Because, like, that's the only thing I could think of is, like, maybe they were like, hey, we want to wear them again. And, you know, then whoever is supposed to get the message to Vancouver either doesn't connect or Vancouver, because they're on a road trip, maybe they don't don't have their dark jerseys. Like, yeah, it was very weird. Like, <laughs> you see them both come on the ice for warm-ups, and they're both in white. It's like, well, someone's going to have to change. Yeah, it's just like if they did change it on a whim, you know, you can't you can't expect the other team to just have their both sets of jerseys. Like they go on a road trip. Like I mean, they have been on a road trip. Vancouver has been on a road trip. They uh they were, they played the Canadians, they played the Maple Leafs, um, I think they played the Senators recently. So they're they're doing that East Coast swing. So yeah, I mean they didn't whatever. It's just it's just it's just how does that happen? Like how, again, where's the communication in this organization? Jesus Christ almighty. I mean, it made for some funny pictures and stuff and some gifts or not gifts, but you know, some funny commentary online. Um, but my God, like I said, thank God the players, coaches and, and staff are, they're on their game this year. Cause the Bruins and the Bruins social media team, they're on their game too, but everybody else on the ninth floor, they're just off their game to start the year. So, um, but anyway, Scott, let's, let's dive into, let's dive into the games that were, I guess we'll start with the, the win that was, you know, only hours ago with the, over the, over the Canucks, um, you know, did you have any jumping points you wanted to start off with? Uh, well, special teams are big both ways in this game. Uh, Bruins score two power play goals. They also give up two to Vancouver. The only two goals Vancouver scored came on the power play. Um, and how the Bruins did on the power play is interesting because they changed things up mid game. They start with the five forward unit that they've been rolling for, you know, 
on and off at times this season, but really for like the last week or so, pretty steadily they've they've used it. And you know, Saturday night in Buffalo, they give up a shorthanded goal when Tage Thompson steals on an entry and goes the other way, and David Krejci's all turned around, fish out of water. You know, can't really defend him, keep up with them. Uh, early on in this game, I think it was on their first power play, they gave up another shorthanded breakaway um, with that five forward unit. And that kind of seemed to, it was weird because Jim Montgomery was asked about it before the game and said, you know, pointed to like how many goals they've scored recently on the power play, which, which they have, I think it was like three, three in the last three games or something coming in. Um, and said, you know, Hey, like as long as we're getting chances and scoring, you know, we know, we know there's a, pay off there if, if we do turn the puck over just to be careful and then it was like he sees that turnover and decides like okay time to do something else and so then you get McAvoy bumped up at first it was DeBrusque who got bumped down uh crazy stays on Martian goes to net front then they change that DeBrusque comes back goes to the net front roll Krejci gets bumped down Martian goes back to his usual spot in the right circle and that results in a goal DeBrusque has uh, a nice recovery, you know, chasing down a loose puck. Eventually ends up with Marchand uh, from the right circle scoring. So that was probably the most interesting part to me was just that one, they keep scoring the power play, and two, they're still tweaking to try to find exactly the right combination. Yeah, I, I talked about it recently too. I'm just not a fan of the five forward look. Uh, I understand the theoretical. Uh, advantages that it gives a team, especially when you have as much offensive talent as the Bruins do. And if you want to use it here or there, that's, I have no issue with it, but I I just, I I don't like it as a, as a mainstay. And I'll give you a few reasons why I just think that first of all, I think Charlie McAvoy and Hampus Lindholm, they have the talent and creativity and execution to be a fifth forward out there just at their defenseman. And they can also excel in the, in the, in the other aspect of the game too. Um, so it's not like, it's not like you're talking about a team that doesn't have any offensive defenseman that can, you know, fit right into that, that puzzle. Uh, so in that sense, I kind of find it unnecessary. Uh, it's like, you go with a five player look why? So you can get both crazy and DeBrusque out there too, with, with the top guys. Like ah, one of them's fine. Um, and, you know, I also think like David Krejci, and and maybe he's ailing right now from that hit in, that he's that he took in uh, the the Detroit game, or maybe he's also just trying to catch up catch up the speed and whatnot. But um, when he's running the top of the umbrella on on the, on the top unit with no defenseman out there with him, I just think that the Bruins power play gets a little too stationary because he's he doesn't have the foot speed up up at the top to kind of get involved with with McAvoy like like McAvoy would or Lindholm would. Because um, when Marshan and Pashnak, Bergeron's always going to have his like his triangle where he's going to be in the ozone on the power play, but Martian and, and, and Pasternak, um, McAvoy, Lindholm guys like that DeBrusque too, when he's out there, those guys, they can get moving. Whereas Krejci, he's just not, that's just not never been his strength. And so I find that when you have five forwards out there and Krejci's the last guy back, I just think that there, there's a lack of movement and, and, uh, and the power play just gets a little too standstill and, and the seams don't open up like they do when you have either Lindholm or McAvoy out there. And then the other thing is is transition um, through the neutral zone. I just don't like it with the five forwards because you just don't have the, you, you just you. I just think you need one uh, McAvoy or Lindholm back there to to have that calming breakout presence and just know where to go with the puck. And I think when you have too many forwards out there, they all just overthink a little bit, and the defenseman just seems to kind of slow things down. Um, so I'm glad that they kind of are reverting back to that. Uh, like I said, if you want to put five forwards out there every now and then, go for it, I guess. But just keep in mind, like, the Canucks have the worst penalty kill in the NHL. It was it was essentially like it was five on oh on the goalie because, like, they just let any passes get through. So if that five forward unit is struggling on a power play, not not struggling, that's not the right term. But if there's if they're getting shorthanded opportunities against them with against the Canucks, I think I think. Um, you know, it's there in for a rude awakening against other teams and Tage Thompson made him pay in Buffalo. He's, he's an example of it. So yeah, uh, I'm, I, I, I want them to go with the one defenseman uh, because McAvoy and, and Lindholm, 
they're more than capable. Yeah, and Jim Montgomery said after the game that he kind of, you know, he envisions them eventually settling on one defenseman, four forwards on on each unit, and you kind of figured that was the case. Uh, you know, he kept McAvoy. Uh, his power play minutes were limited his first two games, and uh, you know, I think part of that is that was just a way to limit his minutes in general. You know, they didn't want him climbing up to 24, 25 minutes just yet, but definitely I guess he gets more up to speed. It, it makes all sense in the world to put him there, Lindholm on the second unit, or, you know, if, if McAvoy struggles at some point, like you said, you can flip them. Um, yeah. Th- I think the way that they ended Sunday night scheme is probably, you know, at least f- the way I look at it for now, probably the best look they can go with, which is McAvoy at the top, Pasenak, Bergeron, Marshan going across, and Debruskin at the net front. Like, I like Debruskin in that role. And Marshan can do it. He's done it before, and we've seen him score kind of, you know, some tap-ins on the power play when he's – he almost goes to net side instead of net front. But I almost feel like it's – I don't know if waste is the right – it just it doesn't feel like the optimal spot for him. Like, you want him in that right circle where – he can shoot, he can be a playmaker. You know, he's he's added a little bit of a one-timer to his game. It's not Pasternak's one-timer, but like he, you know, he can finish if he gets that look. Um I just feel like that's the optimal spot for him, not, you know, putting Krejci over there and moving Marsh into net front. So that that ends up with, you know, resulting in Krejci going second unit, which is you know, I'm I'm sure he'd he'd obviously prefer to be on the first unit, but that second unit can still be lethal. Like you still have Taylor Holiday. You're still going to have either Lindholm or McAvoy. And, you know, so even if they're only out there for 35, 40 seconds, like that's still a unit that can do damage. And, and Krejci only makes it better if that's where he is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're in a position as a, as a team where your second power play unit consists of Hampus Lindholm, David Krejci, Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle, you know, and maybe Zaka or something, something like, I mean, that's, that's pretty damn good. That is really good. Um, so yeah, you can't, you can't look at it like that. And you know, one, one thing about Krejci too, is that, you know, I saw, I saw some commentary online about Bruins fans when they saw that Pashnak and Marshan and Bergeron were reunited going into tonight's game after being put together last game, uh, midway through, they're like, they're uh, they're concerned about Krejci, like you know, not being you know way to keep way to keep Krejci happy, right? Blah blah blah. It's like guys, hold on a second, time out. You can't just try to appease him because at the end of the day, what has what has he Taylor Hall and, and, and David Pashnak done to to force the issue to keep them together? You have to earn the opportunity to play with somebody like David Pashnak. Not, I mean, I'm not saying that like Krejci and, and Hall have you know, soiled their opportunity, but like, this is not, this is not, let's keep David and Taylor happy. This is, this is, it's, it's all about the team and, and keep in mind, like the biggest reason why in the past we we always talked about maybe taking Pashnak off that top line was because especially last year, right. It was like, well, you really have nothing left after that. Cause then you just have Taylor Hall on the second line, but you bring back Krejci this year Krejci, DeBrusque, and, and Taylor Hall is a legit second line. So it's not like the Bruins don't – whereas in the past, the Bruins didn't have that, right? Even when they went to the Cup Finals, it was like – it was Krejci, DeBrusque, and like David Backus or Carson Kuhlman. Like, so you you have Taylor Hall now as well in addition to David Krejci. Um, and when the Bruins lost to the Islanders a couple years ago in the playoffs, the, you had Craig Smith in that role with Hall and Krejci and you had the top line together and you, you had that, that, that forward depth for a cup of coffee. It just didn't work out that year, but uh long story short, like don't feel bad for David Krejci or Taylor Hall. If David Pashnak leaves their line, because guess what? Five on five. And as, as, as great as the Bruins record is, and, and this is not me shitting on the Bruins because they're 14 and two for Christ's sake. I'm just saying like, you know, they haven't, they're still scoring goals per game and stuff like that. And they they still look good as a team, obviously. But Jim Montgomery even said, like, they haven't been creating a ton at five on five the last handful of games. And uh, so you got to take a look at the mirror there. And if you're David Krejci and you're Taylor Hall, 
they they haven't had the 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 best goal of it lately. Yeah, and we had mentioned on the last podcast that Hall Krejci Pasternak line, some of their underlying five and five numbers, you know, Corsi and all that was good, but in actual goals, they they were breaking even. They were three three on the season. You know, that's you're expecting more, especially if those three are together. Like you want to see them, you know pretty dramatically outscoring other teams like that. That's what that line should be. Uh, and still might be at some point, you know, there's no guarantee that uh, the reuniting of the perfection line is, is a long-term thing. You know, we'll see we, if we've learned anything about Jim Montgomery, it's that uh, he likes to switch lines up. Like the, the guy will juggle lines all day. Um, but yeah, that. That, that line was doing fine. Like, they weren't, you know, it's not like they were getting scored on a ton and, you know, constantly spending time in their own zone. But they definitely weren't dominating or taking over, creating the the sheer number of chances that you would expect from three players that talented. Um, so you shake it up and, you know, Jake DeBrusque has been, I think, has been working really hard this season and hasn't really taken shifts off so you bring put that down there and you know maybe he helps them be able to grind a little more you know you talked on the last podcast about uh that line's for checking like debrus can do that maybe that's you know no one's ex- no one's gonna say he's better than Pasenak at at pretty much anything but that it's just a different element that might help those guys get going where maybe it's all right, we're going to work a little harder for, for some offense now. It's not, you know, we're not going to be looking for the pretty play. Um, and by the way, they, they got a goal Sunday night. Uh, they were out there for the goal that Clifton scored and it's Hall, you know, possessing the puck circling around the zone that sets it up. But that whole line was involved. That was, you know, a pretty long offensive zone shift leading up to that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, DeBrusque on that line absolutely adds that element that I was kind of alluding to last episode. Um, and, you know, when you when you watch Pasternak go back with Bergeron and Martian and Buffalo and then you watch them together again in, uh, in the game against Vancouver, it's just the chemistry just jumps off the page. It's like they haven't played – again, like – this is earlier in the year. Like they haven't played together as a line since dating back to last season. So it's been like months and um, it's just, they, they know each other so well. And that's just, you can't, you can try to, you can, you can try to instill chemistry into a line, but if it's not, if it's not there, it's not there. And that's not me saying that Krejci Hall and, uh, and Pashnak can't get to a certain level of chemistry that would, you know, lead to some serious success, but what that top line can do together is just really, really unique. You don't see it. You don't see it anywhere else in the league. Um, and, and, and to that point, let's not forget Krejci and DeBrusque played together as line mates for the better part of two and a half seasons. So it's also less legwork there. Cause like, it's kind of like riding a bike for them too, probably now, obviously Jake was on the left side of Krejci in the past. Now he's on the right side. Um, but you, they have that chemistry together, and now it's kind of just like, all right, well, now let's integrate Taylor Hall into what we established in the past, and it's kind of less work for them too. So, you know, it might work out for the better. Um, and as you said, I'm sure it'll get mixed mixed up again at some point. But right now, it's it's they didn't have this offensive depth in the past, and that's why we screamed for them to, as well as we knew the top line was, we had to try to get Pashnak down a line to try to spread the love a little bit. But on this, with this roster, you, everybody's kind of slotted where they need to be because you have the depth. So it's, you don't need to, you don't need to change his line now to spread the wealth. It was more so just kind of like, let's see if 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 uh, this 
potential combination of Hall, Krejci, and Pasternak can be something crazy. But in doing so, you are kind of taking away the chemistry of the bergeron Martian line by adding DeBrusque. And I think Jake's in a great job there, but he's not Pasternak with them. So, you know, in hoping that Krejci, Hall, and Pasternak could be something special, you did kind of take away from that top line. Um, but now you have a certainty with that top line together now. And now it's like, all right, well, David and Jake have played together before. Let's see if they can spark something with Taylor Hall. Um, they were a good line when it was David Backus on their right, on their left side. And they were pretty good with, you know, Carson Kuhlman, whoever it was, Rick Nash. Like they always found a way to be successful. Now do it with Taylor Hall, who, you know, I haven't loved his, I know he had an assist tonight. Um, I think it was actually, I saw you tweet this Scott and I was thinking the same thing. It's like, he passed up an opportunity to shoot in the slot and it ended up working out for him, but it's not how you drew it up really. Um, thank God Norris candidate, Connor Clifton finished, finished that playoff. But, um, I don't know. I just Taylor Hall's body language. He just kind of seems a little bit. I don't want to say dejected. He just doesn't seem like he's totally there right now. And you remember when, when they first signed him, you used to say he was like an automatic zone entry. Like I haven't really seen that late in the last little while. It's kind of concerning. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, th- I think it'll be fine. I wonder if there's any sort of like lingering effect of the injury, like especially with like, you know, the zone entries you mentioned it. We haven't seen him really just turn on the jets as much. So, you know, I don't, I don't know anything. I'm just speculating, but I wonder about like, I wonder if he's still kind of working up to full strength. And we know from watching crazy, it looks like he is um, that there have been some, there's been some speculation online. That, like maybe he's dealing with something. He got hit pretty hard a couple games ago. So uh, you know, obviously that doesn't explain the whole season. That was only a couple games ago, but you know, like, like I'd said on the last podcast, like, I feel like he's still kind of trying to get back up to speed, uh, just NHL speed, um, on the, on the top line getting reunited. It like, it really is amazing just how quickly they, they get it back. You, you saw it in that goal in Buffalo where it's like, <laughs> you know, it seems like they're almost just like flipping the puck around, like possibly like someone settles it you know, out of the air. You saw it Sunday night against Vancouver. Now they didn't score a five on five goal, but you saw, you know, a set playoff of face off where uh, like Martian loops one way, Pasenak loops the other and Pasenak ends up drawing a, ends up getting tripped in the slot and drawing a penalty. Like we've seen that play before result in a goal. Uh, in this case, it got a penalty, it got a, you know, power play. Um, and then they had a shift in the third period where they were out there with Grizzly and McAvoy, where I tweeted that like they were running a NASCAR race. They were just like zooming around the zone, like in circles. Uh, Pasenak at one point did a lap with the puck, made a pass, kept skating the, like the lap at the same speed, got it back like somewhere else on the ice. It was like, it, you know, it didn't end up in a goal, but it was just like crazy to watch. It's like very few five man units can do that. Now that shift ended up with a scoring chance against so that Grizzly got to make a good defensive play on, uh, to break up, you know, two on one. That was maybe turning into a two on two, but yeah, it's, you know, I think Jim Montgomery now has like the same temptation that Bruce Cassidy had for so long, which is like, you put those guys together, you see what they do. Like how, you know, how do you split them up? It's like, it's hard. You know, you see something like that and you're like, wait, wh- why, why would I, why would I not use that? Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and even more so for Bruce, like we talked about, it was, he, he, Bruce knew his team better than anybody. Like you, you watch the team, you know, despite where they are in the standings and despite they went a couple rounds, Bruce knew like, we're pretty bare in the cupboard after that top line. Now it's not, that's not the case anymore. Like they, you know, that's not, that's not true this season, but for Bruce more so than Jim, it's like, he really had to stick up, you know, those guys. Um, And, you know, I actually forgot about the Taylor Hall injury in preseason that you brought up. I, uh, that's true too. And I I do remember him saying, he, when the year started, I think it's fair to assume he, he wasn't a hundred percent and, you know, they played 16 games now and, whatever it's been like I'm just over a month. So, I mean, they played a lot of hockey. So whatever he, he, you know, um, 
aggravated in that in that preseason game. It looked like an like an uh, abdominal injury or you know middle body whatever. Um, I'm sure it hasn't had a full chance to recover. So that that could explain it too, Scott. You're right, and yeah, Krejci obviously got dinged up a little bit too. Um, but with all that said, we're talking about a team that is 14 and two, nine zero and zero at home. I think that's the best start in franchise history on home yeah. ice. They have the highest goals for per game. They have the lowest goals against per game. Um, so you know, it, <laughs> no number one on the penalty kill. They're up to number seven on the power play. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's just like, and, and obviously they've been they've been tested with uh, their depth has been tested with injuries and stuff. And uh, Thomas Nosek scoring tonight, as you as you mentioned and others mentioned, he's become became the the twentieth individual goal scorer for the Bruins this year through sixteen games. So I mean, you, they're getting it from everywhere, and it's not like you know, and, and of those twenty goal scorers, I bet you, I bet you at least I bet you fifteen of them have multiple goals. You know, so it's like it's. It's, it's 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 really encouraging to see. So it's really difficult to try to find something to criticize this team for right now, at least the on-ice product. Um, but we definitely know from watching the, these guys for a long long enough time, we, we, we despite their success, we can see that Krejci is not where he could be, and we, we're seeing that Taylor Hall is not where he could be. So it was just worth bringing up those points. Um, let's keep it to the forwards real quick again. Uh, I did just mention Thomas Nosek got the empty netter. Um, your, just your thoughts, Scott, on that that weight lifted off his shoulders. I know it's an empty netter, but um, he's had a couple of posts and near falls that uh, with a goalie in that this year that could have gone in, and he may have had a goal taken. Did he have a goal taken back at one point this year? That was like I forget, but either way, good for him to get the goal. I'm sure that um, it, it's one of those goals where yeah, it's an empty netter, but it it takes the weight off his shoulders and I wouldn't be surprised to see Thomas Nosek get a couple of garbage goals in the next few weeks. Like it just, that's how hockey works. Look, look at Nick Foligno when he started the year. So just your thoughts on him getting off the schneid. Yeah, it, it was good to see. And I'm sure even though goal scoring isn't his primary job and it's not really what he's counted on to do with this team. Like he even said after the game, he's like, you know, he mentioned that, but then he's like, but you're a forward. Like you, part of your job is to score goals. So you know, yeah, I'm sure it was weighing going that long without one. It ended up being, including playoffs, it was 72 games without one going all the way back to January 2nd. Um, so, yeah, and you like you could see from the reaction on the bench too. Like ev- everyone knew, everyone felt good for him. You know, get like Bergeron, Montgomery Bergeron after the game talked about how like he does so so many other things. We saw him uh, step up after. Pasternak got hit by um, why am I blanking on who hit him? Uh, Pasternak hit. It was um, Burrows. Yeah, Kyle Burrows, and Nosek jumps in and, and drops the gloves. You know, wasn't much of a fight, but it, you know, just standing up for a teammate. It was Nosek's first fight of his NHL career, so um, yeah, he gets you know, he gets a ton of defensive zone starts, a lot of penalty kill time, kind of like the thankless forward job um but all that being said yeah part of his job is also to score and produce and so i'm sure it it felt great and you could tell that the whole team was like excited for him uh, montgomery said they were all like yelling his name on the bench um so good for him uh you know it the the standing up for for, for pasenak thing too like that's another thing where it's just like, I think guys just love that kind of stuff. And you saw, you know, AJ Greer drop the gloves tonight as well. Um, especially on the second night of a back to back where Saturday night was kind of like a sleepy night overall for the team. And you wonder, you know, second night of a back to back, like, do you get off to a slow start again? Is the energy there? Th- those are two guys who, who made sure it was. And, you know, on the fourth line, like, that's what you want to see. Yeah, you know, you go to a Bruins game in person and you can really appreciate the um the size of, of Thomas Nosek. He's he's a big body out there and you know, he he does he does a great job in the penalty kill. He does a lot of good things well. I know I've been critical of him in the past, but again, there's only like 
a lot of it was in preseason. I really did think that there were a bunch of guys fighting for jobs in the bottom six. I just thought he was a little complacent in preseason. But if I'm being honest, he's been he's been great in my opinion since the drop of the opening night puck, uh, and that that's even before he scored tonight. So he's definitely, a, I think, what you call it, a thankless thankless position, thankless yeah. role, fourth line center. It can be, it can be. But you know, you look at his size. Um, you know, I think the magic number for him is like, you know, if you can do all the, if you can do all the little things well and be a good teammate and be a good penalty killer, um, you know, check well, be good defensively for him, the magic number offensively, like he should just think to himself, you know, 10, can I, can I, can I find a way to score 10 goals this year or, or, you know, seven to 10 goals. You can do that offensively along with all the other little things that you do in that thankless role, like you called it, um, then, then that's all you can ask for in that position. Uh, and you know, it's that, that's, that's great production from there. Uh, AJ Greer, you mentioned. Yep. Um, you know, as, especially after Vancouver tied the game one-to-one, you could just kind of tell the Bruins were a little bit lethargic, uh, less than 24 hours removed from their last game, considering that tonight was a six o'clock start. That's a quick turnaround with travel and all that stuff. Um, Little, little lethargic, little loosey goosey. Um, but you know, AJ Greer makes you know makes body contact at center ice. Which look, you know me, I'm an old time hockey guy. I wouldn't have been surprised if that was called for like an elbow or something. Or he did look like he got the guy a little high. But it was, you know me, I'll, I'm happy to see you like let go. But oh, actually, one of the things, Scott, because now I'm going to bring up the AJ Greer fight. Have you noticed? And well, you already brought it up, but. Um, have you noticed this year that the, the referees are letting the guys when they decide to, to square off and fight, they're actually letting them fight. Like you notice the last five or so years, the refs get their arms in and try to break up fights in the middle of them. And it's like, it's dangerous because you're tying up one guy and he's becoming defenseless. Yeah. I've noticed this year and I've, I've noticed other referees shove off, uh, their, their, their partners and say, Nope, nope, let him go. So, like, I think when refs are noticing that, okay, this is gonna happen, they're letting it happen. Um, and they're they're a lot better about when they get in there. Now, tonight's an example of like 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 the AJ Greer fight. Like, like he got he I forget who he fought because it was a Russian last name, but he got him he got him Colson. What was it? Uh Vasily Putkolzin. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Try saying that one ten times. Uh so you know, he got popped good at the end by AJ Greer, but at least if a guy's going to get popped, it's better off that they get popped because um, it's just how the fight plays out as opposed to a ref be- tying him up. And like, you know, so I remember it happened to Adam McQuaid one time, like it was probably seven, six or, probably seven, six or seven years ago, but some guy, McQuaid was fighting some guy and the ref just tied up McQuaid and the, and the guy just teed off on McQuaid because he couldn't defend himself. So uh, sidetrack, no, I just wanted to bring it up because I noticed that in other games around the league too. So kudos to the refs there. Um, but yeah, AJ Greer, 11 games this year, six points. Craig Smith, 10 games, uh, three points. I bring that up because uh, AJ Greer entered the lineup tonight after being a healthy scratch for a couple of games and about a total of six days overall, almost about a week since he last played. And he comes in for Craig Smith, who I think struggled in Buffalo. I know the team struggled in Buffalo. Um, Bergeron said it wasn't even their B game. We would all agree with that. And with Craig Smith, it's not... I've, I've never th- found it to be a lack of effort. It's not a lack of effort with him, but he's just not making smart decisions with the puck on his stick. And you can tell he's playing afraid to make mistakes and it's causing him to make mistakes. He's throwing the puck into, he's throwing the puck in the coverage in his own zone and this and that. Um, and he's just not making things happen out there offensively either. So, so he comes out of the lineup, AJ Gray goes in and he doesn't score a goal but he makes his presence known. And again, that's, that's what you look to do on nights where you're not producing. Right. Yeah. And, and especially second night of a back to back, like Greer gritted this earlier, one point earlier this year on the second, night of a back to back too. And, you know, it's almost like he's going to be like designated energy, some energy guys, some of these games. Um, yeah. With Smith, it's, it's hard to figure out because it, there was that stretch like, I don't know, a week and a half ago where it looked like he was starting to get going and was playing a little better. And then he goes quiet again. And, and 
you know, part of it's his role. He's not a fourth liner by nature. He's not used to being that low in minutes, especially where he's not playing on either special teams unit. Like, you know, he can end up going long stretches of time between shifts. So I get that, that there's an adjustment there, but it also kind of speaks to like what Greer can bring in that role where, you know, Greer seems like a guy who is going to bring an energy no matter how many shifts he get, no matter how many, you know, how much time it is between shifts. Like, I just think he, he doesn't have, you know, he's not as refined of a player as Craig Smith, obviously. So I get why, you know, Montgomery might look at it and trust Craig Smith more. Um, just because he has a history of being a good two-way player. But to your point, like he hasn't, he's even struggled with that at times. Like he's even struggled in his own zone. He's struggled with decision-making. So especially a night like this, second of a back-to-back, like you want Greer in there and, and that's what he brings. Like he, you know, he gets his team into it. He gets the crowd into it. Um, I also wanted to bring up, with Greer, because I saw some of this online, like people, especially for the Vancouver side, were really critical of him for for not dropping the gloves with Luke Shen, um, who who is a fighter that the kitty fought, uh, put Coles in. That was his first NHL fight, and he's you know this is his second season, so it's not like he's been around for a long time. Uh, but he, he had fought. He, I looked on hockey fights, and he had two fights in the KHL on his records. Not. It's not like he's never fought. Um, but I saw, you know, Luke Shen did try to get Greer to go after that. I'm assuming, you know, he, he wasn't happy that Greer went after, a, you know, a younger, kind of more skilled player or whatever. Um, but Greer literally couldn't fight him. He had a glove. They showed on Ness and he had a glove on his hand that obviously he had to wrap. You know, I'm sure he cut it or whatever in the fight with Colson. And you literally like aren't allowed like it's an extra penalty to fight with a glove on or some sort of wrap like you you just can't. Um, and even before Greer went with Pickleson, it looked like so I saw this as Greer did challenge Shen like on the shift before. Um, Greer kind of went hard to the net, you know, clearly wanted to get right on top of the goalie and you know, maybe start something. And Luke Shen gave him, you know, a, a good bump after the whistle. And to me, it looked like Greer tried to drop his gloves and Shen didn't just kind of like looked at him. But then I saw online, there were some people saying that they saw it as Greer was backing away from Shen. And so I'm like, that is just not how I saw it. But I guess it's possible I misinterpreted there. But to me, that looked like, Greer wanted to go with with Shen that first time, even before he fought put Coles in, and Shen didn't. And then I think Shen, after the fact, was like, "Okay, so you got you beat up our young guy. Like now, now go with me. Like now, I'm ready." Type thing. And Greer couldn't because of the glove. Yeah, no, I uh, I actually thought that the 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 kid that Greer fought actually. He he his form didn't look too bad as far as throwing punches. I mean, obviously there wasn't much defense in that yeah. fight, but he, he was yeah. They were both swinging a swinging yeah. a bit wildly. There. Like he almost he almost knocked out Greer. Honestly, like yeah. if, if he connected on on one of those wild swings, I mean, it could have gone the other way around. But uh, yeah, the scrum with with um, with Luke Shen, um, I thought they were both kind of willing. It just didn't happen. I didn't really see either guy backing off from that. I, I don't know if the ref got in the middle or if they just – I don't really know. But, uh, you know, I Luke, Luke, Luke Shen's a pretty tough customer. So um, I think I think Greer may have been swinging above his weight class there because um, I don't really see a ton of defense when he fights. But uh, in any event, um, definitely provided some energy. Um, the other issue with – uh, Craig Smith, as far as him getting into the lineup, is you know, Pavel Zaka's got nine points, scored again tonight, looking more and more comfortable in, in a Bruins uniform. Uh, Felino's got seven, Coyle's got eight, Frederick, I think, has like five or six, but he even he's like bringing his skating game and he's finishing checks. And so it's just a it's it's a cluster right there in that, in that, in that bottom six. And uh, 
I think it's it's going to be a tough decision for the Bruins because I think Craig Smith is one of the most likable and 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 well received players in that locker room. I think he's, um, I think he's one of the funnier guys in the room. If you listen, if you kind of listen to other guys talk about him in the past, so I think that if the if the time comes where the Bruins move on from him, um, I'm sure it'll be kind of tough for the room to to swallow for a little bit. But uh, I, mean, I don't want to speculate on what may or may not happen, but. Just kind of reading the tea leaves here, it, it, he might be an automated out at some point, uh, but we'll have to see. Um, Scott, yeah, as far on, as, yeah, sorry, on, on being an odd man out, like it's they have more bodies on defense, which is why you know obviously the name you're going to hear the most is Mike Riley, and especially because he's not even in Boston right now; he's down in Providence. Um, but part of it also has to be like what can you get or like who does another team actually want? Because if look, Mike Wright has been on waivers twice. No one's claimed him, which means no one's taking on his full contract. So the Bruins have to throw something in. Uh, They can't really retain money because that's the issue in the first place. They have to get rid of $3 million. Um, So you have to throw in, you know, a, a pick or a prospect. And if teams, look at you and go, well, we don't, we don't really want Riley. We don't want that contract. So it's going to be a high pick or a high prospect. Um, you know, maybe Craig Smith is more appealing. Maybe like, maybe he's easier to move. Uh, I think, I believe Smith's in the final year of his deal. Right. So that's, that's easier to take on. And, you know, maybe another team sees value in that, you know, a, a veteran, uh, a guy who's, you know, had a history as a solid middle six forward. Like, you don't know. Again, part of what the Bruins have to figure out here before Forbert returns is what what are you going to have to give up to move one of these guys? Or I don't think they can get anything back for, for any of them. So it's not, you know, you're not trading one of them for prospects or a draft pick. I think you're almost certainly giving something up, but it's what is that? Because, you know, like you don't want to be attaching a first round pick to Mike Riley just to dump a contract. Like that's, that's tough. Like that's a really tough pill to swallow. If you're giving up a high pick or, you know, got, or like a high ranked prospect. So, but if that's like, if that's all you can do with Riley, then, and you can do something more affordable, easier to swallow with Smith, then yeah, he very much could be uh, the guy who eventually ends up getting traded. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but I do want to, I do want to touch on the defense, Scott. Um, Connor Clifton's playing phenomenal. Hampus Lindholm is playing really good. Charlie McAvoy is still getting his reps in, but he he seems to be um, right about there. Um, one of the newer goal scorers on the season, he was the nineteenth goal scorer on the season. Different goal scorer on the season was uh, Jacob Zaboro, and um, you know, it's. On the one hand, it's uh, it's great to see him score his first NHL goal. Um, I believe it was a game winner too. On the other hand, it's like it's kind of alarming. It's like holy shit, he was drafted seven years ago and he's just scoring his first NHL goal. Now there are reasons for that, um, injuries and others. But he's I'd have to look up his stats right now, but I'm sure he's played. He's probably played what at least close to 100 games in his career, right? No, it's like 50 something. I looked up. I Is looked up really? last night. Game, I think. I think last night was 54. So Sunday night was 55. Oh wow! So he's, and I mean that's a, that's an alarming stat too. He's been in the he's been in the system for seven years. Wow. Again, I know injuries, 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 but it hasn't all been injuries. Anyway, um, good for Jacob Zaboral, Scott. Right? Yeah, and and you know. Certainly hasn't been the smoothest start to the season for him. He's been inconsistent. He's been in and out of the lineup. He even said Saturday night that he didn't he didn't think he deserved the good the goal that night. He didn't think he had played his best game, and and he hadn't. Like he had struggled a bit in that game too. Um, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to be the he's probably going to be a healthy scratch once Fulbert returns. It, it's you know, there had been some hope and, you know, even I felt like there was a chance he was ready to establish himself as an everyday player, push some of these guys ahead of him, you know, maybe even push for a top four role if his season went well enough. Uh, 
And, you know, especially like you go back that that first preseason game where he was really good. And I think Montgomery had some sort of comment around that time that he had like he had been one of their best players just in training camp in general. And, you know, just it hasn't really lasted. Like maybe that was just, uh, I don't know, a lot of excitement coming back from the ACL, uh, you know, adrenaline kind of carrying him or whatever. But it really hasn't carried over into the regular season. Um, but yeah, obviously good to see him get his first goal still. And, you know, maybe it does give him some confidence. Like who knows? Like they, things, you know, that can, that can, it can, it can't hurt that that's all. But, um, yeah, it, you want to see more from him and, you haven't yet. Maybe if he gets some conditioning time, you know, sits down for a few games once Forbert's back in whatever, three weeks or so, uh, you know, maybe next time he has to come into the lineup later in the season because you know that time will come. Maybe he's in a better place then, but so far it feels like he's kind of, he's sort of just there as a sixth defenseman. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest, like, good for him for the goal, but I don't love his game. Uh, never really have. You know, I watch him, and there's a – you know you know when somebody says that somebody has a motor, like this, this kid's a good player, he's got a motor? I interpret a motor not necessarily as as skating speed, but more so, like – are they are they revved up when they're on the ice? So they are they constantly like kind of giving it their all, like they're just they're ready to go through a wall. Connor and Clifton. Connor Clifton, but like when I look at the Bruins back end, there are three guys in my opinion that have a motor, and that's Clifton, Lindholm, and McAvoy. Like when they're on the ice, their skating speed aside, like they just they don't fucking stop moving. Like they're constantly like they just their heads are on a swivel. They're they're constantly, constantly in the play. Um, but when you watch somebody like Zaboral, he doesn't have a motor. Now he's a good technical skater, but he has no motor. He kind of just he watches the game, he's reactionary. The only time he makes plays on pucks is when he knows he has to, right? Like if the puck's dump, if the puck is dumped in his corner, like unless you want to be a viral tweet you can't not go after it. But even then it's like, it, you know, it's looking over the shoulder. It's trying to find the right angle to not get plastered and all that stuff. Um, you know, Brandon Carlos is kind of the same way. Like he, he relies on angles. He relies on his size, his, his, his reach. It's like so, these guys need, some of these guys need to get a motor. Um, but I, I like Carlo as a player better than Zavoro because he, because of he's a different type of player and you need that. Uh, so I don't mean to lump Carlo into this conversation, despite his lack of motor on that penalty kill at the Bruins. <laughs> were, yeah, that, that was a rough read. That was brutal. Like, what are you doing? I mean, he was literally, he was literally like, you know, uh, towed to the, to the forward in front of him, like in the neutral zone. It's like, dude, you can, you can smell what he had for breakfast, like back off. Like, like you should be a little bit behind him. I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, anyway, I, I've noticed the Bruins penalty kill. Like I've seen that at times, and especially when you're not to like go, you know, full media harder, but when you're up on level nine, you can like really notice it. They start like really far up and do give some space behind them. And usually they're back in time and it's not an issue. But like there's been a few times where like I've watched where where the defensemen are as the other team like retrieves the puck and turns up ice. And it's like, man, like if they got if they get like the angle slightly off, like there there's a breakaway opportunity with a good enough pass here. And again, it hadn't really burned them until Sunday night. It obviously did. And that, you know, when it's Quinn Hughes making the pass and JT Miller and his speed on the other end, like that's the kind of combination that can do it. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. Um I'll take your word for the uh the overhead view, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's definitely uh yeah, you can, you can see that. You can see that when they do the replays on, on television and stuff and whatnot. Um, they're definitely, they're gapped up too much uh, and, and whatever. I mean, like, yeah, certain defensemen can get away with it because they're better skaters, but 
And it was just it, it was almost it was almost like Carlo didn't even know Miller was there. I don't think he did. I mean, which is like, you know, what are you watching out there? Um so yeah, uh good for Zaboral, no motor. Get a motor, bud. Uh as far as Carlo, let's stick with him for a second. Um what do you how do you feel about him right now? Just because I'm seeing I'm seeing some of his he's not playing very confident. And what we see when he doesn't play with confidence, he can be a frustrating player to watch because he has so much size and, and potential. But, um, you know, I don't know. You, you watch, you watch Connor Clifton, you watch their minutes, right? Like it, it's, it's, it's showing in their minutes played the top three minute minute. Um, and tonight for the Bruins defense was, was McAvoy and Lindholm separated, separated by a couple of seconds, I think within a minute. And then Connor Clifton was like four minutes behind them, but the next closest guy was, you know, a minute or so after him, but um, it, it's the top three guys now for the Bruins are McAvoy, Lindholm and Clifton. And, you know, Carlos, like, it's like, you know, if you want the Bruins to, to play to their ceiling, even if Carlos on the third pair, you just need him to be more of a force out there. And he just seems too easy to play against. That's, I guess the best way I can describe it. He doesn't seem to be a threat to any opposing forwards in, in any really sort of way. Yeah, I think before uh, losing track of JT Miller tonight, I, I actually thought he was playing pretty well the last few games. And, you know, it's never like I've given up on ever expecting anything flashy or, or much in transition or on offense from Carlo. But I thought he was just making smart, calm plays defensively. Uh, he was He was ending plays. I think he was making smart first passes. Um, but that's kind of, that's sort of the bare minimum. Like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of starting to just view him as, as a third parent guy to your point. Like Clifton has clearly passed him on the depth chart. Um, you know, we'll see if that continues or how long it continues, but like you said, it, it's reflected in their minutes. I mean, Clifton's playing like two to three minutes more a night and or sometimes even more than that. And, and doing more with it. You know, I think um, Carlo's defensive numbers, so I don't have them updated through Sunday night, but uh, when I was looking this up the other day, like they're still really good. I think he, le- he leads all defensemen on the team in terms of goals against per 60 when he's on the ice in terms of expected goals against. So he's not giving up, a, you know, he's the Bruins aren't giving up a lot of chances when he's on the ice. And, and that's in part a credit to him. But he's also not contributing anything at the other end. Like, there's just no offense. So the defense almost has to be perfect because if he starts making mistakes, if he loses track of JT Miller, like, it's going to get noticed. And then he starts to, then he could potentially start to become a negative because, you know, other guys can maybe give something up at the defensive end and then they can make up for it by doing something offensively and, you know, Matt McAvoy, Lindholm, Grizzly, even Clifton, they can all do that. And I just don't think Carlo can. So it's like his defense better be perfect or very close to it because there's not much else he's going to bring. That's going to, you know, atone for any defensive mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I think back to his rookie his rookie season when he was partnered with Chara and the Bruins weren't a great team that year. I think they snuck into the playoffs, but it was, you know, it was right after they um, had missed the playoffs for a couple of years, I think by like a total of three points between two seasons. But my point is on a lesser team as a rookie, you could, you could see, you could see his potential and his ceiling. Um, And I just feel like he just, he just never got there again. Uh, and with the exception of the 2019 playoff run, like I remember that that series against the Blue Jackets, like that play, uh, I think it may have been game five before the Pashnak go-ahead goal, eventual game winner, where he like closed it on Panarin and just kind of like one-on-one battle, just took the puck from him and moved it. It's like, that's what, that's all you want to see out of Carlo. I don't want him to be Scott Stevens out there. Uh, that's not, that's not who he is as a player, but like, I do want to see him just like, I want to see him challenge guys. And, and and make his presence known out there, be a tight checker. And I know it was a penalty kill situation. It wasn't five-on-five coverage, but 
I just, it was, that was kind of, uh, it was just a microcosm of him just chasing the play. And I just, you know, keep, keep the game in front of you as a defenseman. And, uh, but we talked about it last episode. If this defense core is totally healthy, like I, I think I mentioned how I, I'd prefer McAvoy and Lindholm to be split up. Um, except for circumstances where you kind of need to go all out. And so who, who are the deep partners that help, help those guys reach their ceilings. And, you know, I think Grizzly and McAvoy with their familiarity, then fine. And then like Clifton's skating and, 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 and transition helps Lindholm too. Um, as opposed to Carlo with, with Lindholm with that said, and I feel like you kind of echo that same, that same preference. But um, with that said, like if, if they did keep Clifton in the top four, along with Grizzly, McAvoy, and Lindholm, um, are you a little concerned that when Forbert came back, comes back, and it's him and Carlo, that there's just not enough transition in that deep pair? Or is it one of those things where it's like, keep it simple, stupid, and just focus on being a, a shutdown defense pair with a combined wingspan of like 20 feet? You know what I mean? Yeah, I I wonder if they'll if they'll try that where that's just they're the parent that gets all the D zone shifts, you know, gets whatever takes matchups with with top lines and, and kind of takes their bumps in their own zone. But hey, just keep it out of the net. Like that that's it. You know, we're not expecting much offensively. You kind of just get buried like the Bruins have done in the past with that third pairings. Like if you think back, um, well, even like Clifton Forbar, like they kind of took that on at times, Kevin Miller and whoever, they would have that role. Um, I don't think that's ideal. And I don't think that really jives with like how Jim Montgomery wants to play. Like, I think he'd really prefer to have all three pairings be able to be able to move. And so I kind of wonder if maybe the better option is it, put Lindholm and McAvoy together and then have, you know, and you can line them up however you want on the chart, but go back to Fulbright and Clifton, which has had success. And then Grizzly Carlo and, you know, whichever one of those you want to call the second pairing or the third pairing, my hunch is Fulbright Clifton's going to get more minutes, but um, I wonder if that ends up being the, the best option in the end, because I do worry about Fulbright, uh, Carlo together. I, I just don't think there's a uh, really enough foot speed there And Lindholm Carlo together. Hasn't really clicked. Like Lindholm has clearly been better with Clifton than Carlo. So I don't know if I'd love the idea of going back to that either. No, I agree with you. I, I don't like the combination of Lindholm and Carlo either. Um, my only thing about McAvoy and Lindholm together is like, if you're an opposing team, you're an opposing coach, you're an opposing, you know, forward group. Like when you play the Boston Bruins, if 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 you're stepping out on the ice and you know every two out of three shifts, one of McAvoy and or Lindholm was out there, it's just really t- it's just it's just really tough to play against. And I hate to have to load load up that top D pair because of you know just your your bottom four not having that perfect comp. I don't know. It's just uh, I I am not really sure. It's I it's a good problem to have and and in today's NHL there there's always tinkering based on matchups and who's playing better and is it a playoff series or is it a regular season, blah blah blah. Uh but if it was a playoff series situationally I would put Lindholm and McAvoy together, but I would in 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 the in in general five on five flow of play, I would like to throw out one of them each, you know, every two two out of every three shifts. Um, but that's just me. It just, it would just, but it, it does, it does, but then it does beg the, it does beg the question. All right. Do you, do you play Carlo with Lindholm to keep Clifton and Forbert together and kind of lessen Lindholm's D pair? Um, or do you put Carlo and Forbert together and have a slower D pair? Unfortunately, what's the common theme here? Who's the one fucking it up? It's Carlo's presence. He just hasn't, you know, he's got to kind of, he's got to step it up. I can't say well, it any other way. It, you know, someone tweeted at me uh, the other day when I was talking about like all the cap gymnastics of forward going on long-term IR and, you know, when McAvoy is activated. And someone tweeted like, 
uh, something along the lines of like they should try to trade Carlo. Like that should be the essentially this the the cap move. And their take was someone would want him. And my response was not entirely sure of that. Like he has a lot of years left. He's making four point one million a year, and he has an injury history. So it's you know it's not the worst idea in the world. Like if you could actually get something for him, if his value was as high as it was probably a few years ago, I'm just not sure it is. Like I I don't know that there's going to be a line of teams sitting there wanting to to take on that contract. Um, so I don't see it. I, I don't think that's really in the Bruins plans either, but you know, I would say like if, if that value was out there where someone actually wanted to give you something for him, like it would be worth considering. I just don't think that's the situation. I just don't think his values that high at not even close right now. Well, I agree with you. Um, I'll say this. If there's a deal to be made and it makes sense, I I would I would strongly consider that. I would I would think about it. Um, you know, you do you would be able to would you miss his presence? Yeah. I mean he does he look, I, this is not me coming down to player at all. Like he 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 does he does bring a lot to that back end. Um, but if the Bruins really do want to have a deep uh, a decor with a, mo- a puck mover on every on every defense unit, if you did move on from Carlo, like you know, obviously, you know, like a Riley or a Zaboral or somebody who's capable of puck moving would be able to slide in there. But, um, you know, you you mentioned I don't think there would be a line of teams there. I don't think there would be necessarily either. But all it takes is one. Um, you know, would, would a Seattle Kraken look for? Uh, a middle uh, a middle aged veteran uh, top four defense guy would could is Arizona looking for a new a new uh, a new frat member um, you know it all takes is one right so I would entertain it but you know because we know how how much of a grind the playoffs are um, I, I I like a guy like Carla back there because he brings he does bring size he does bring um, good analytics defensively, and he is, you know, he he does generally keep guys to the outside. Um, but I just want to see uh, when the playoffs do come around. Hopefully, he has a little bit more of an, uh, a little bit more of an edge to his game, and 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 um, you know knows who he knows who he is a little bit more. Than he, right, he seems a little bit lost right now, and and that they, you know that's normal over the course of a season. But I'm not down on the player. I just you know I just think he he can bring, he can bring a little bit more at certain points. Um, did you have anything else, Scott? No, have the, uh, we don't have time for for a full uh, fashion corner here. But I just want to say that the the Sabres all white reverse retros awful, just terrible. Mm. No, no, no one should wear white pants. No, white pants, white gloves, but then they go with the blue helmets. Uh, it's just like you know, if you're gonna do that, go all white. Um, Seattle debuted their uh their reverse retros tonight and uh they look like those you know how you, you know the traditional candy canes where you know it's red and white mm-hmm. but then you know you, you go to a farm around christmas time and they have like all different color candy canes it, it looks like a teal and blue candy cane um didn't hate them honestly but it was a little bit too much going on but as far as buffalo goes scott i think they're actually going to debut the um their alternates in the next couple of days which is the um straight up it's just their their black and red Buffalo Sabres jerseys that we all know and love from the nineties. I don't think there's any tinkering to it. I just think it's the new Jersey type, but it's not, it's the, so those will be, those will be great. Um, They're going to go from like the worst Jersey you've ever seen to a really sharp one. So I look forward to that. Um, Hopefully their, hopefully their, their, their PR team knows what days they're wearing their jerseys. unlike the Bruins, but yeah, I yeah. think you'll I think you'll get to see the Bruins reverse retros again. I, I believe it's the Chicago game is the I think that's what Saturday. I think that's the next one actually on the schedule that they don't just decide willy nilly to go out on go out wearing them in warm ups for. Yeah, they um they're wearing them against the Blackhawks on the nineteenth, and then I'm pretty sure they they wear them like 
I don't know. I, I, they're wearing them like five more times this year. I feel like they're all in the next like couple of weeks. So they're gonna there's gonna be yeah. a lot of there's gonna be a lot of poo on the ice. Uh, yeah, they're all before the end of the end of the calendar year because then they'll have whatever you know. We're still waiting on the Winter Classic jerseys, but then they'll have those for the second half. Oh yeah, and I think they said what November November twenty ninth. They're gonna debut that. Right yeah, after, I think that sounds right. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah, uh, abbreviated fashion segment. Um, we'll 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 have an extended one at some point later, probably later next week or something like that on something. Um, but Scott, if you're all set, I think we're good to wrap this up, right? All good. All right, thank you guys for listening, and we will talk soon. I, Scott, you're gonna have a we don't know yet, but you'll probably have a player interview at some point this week too, correct? I believe so. Okay, so subscribe to the podcast, and you'll get that notification ding the second it drops. But Scott will be talking to. A, a Bruins player this week, and we'll drop that as well. So thank you for listening. We will talk soon.